The beginning of the second verse of the song, Days of Elijah, says, The days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. <clears throat> now, if you, if you read that, if you don't know, you may just think that's just a generic reference to God just bringing life to us. But what I want to do tonight is I want to, um, I want to speak about what that first part of the second verse of Days of Elijah is speaking about. Days of Elijah, the dry bones becoming as flesh. Now, I do want to make this disclaimer. Um, I debated on whether to say this, but talked to several people and decided to do it. So, um, Andrew Francis led this song uh, a week and a half ago or two and a half weeks ago. I can't remember when it was, but he led on a Wednesday night, I believe. And whenever, I, whenever he sang that, it, I've been thinking about this, but I knew it was coming, this uh, preaching engagement was coming up. So, I thought whenever he led that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that. I've been wanting to talk about this, the dry bones becoming his flesh. So that is what spurred this message to come on. I just want that to be known. It has nothing to do with what's about to happen in a couple weeks in our nation. So I just, I just want that to be known. So we're going to talk about the valley of dry bones. We find this in Ezekiel chapter 37. So I'll have the verses up there if you want to turn to that in your Bible in that way. Because of course the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to Take little bit by little bit, and so you'll have the, the whole thing there that you can read about. Now, before I get into the valley of, talking about the valley of dry bones here, I want to go back and look at the history leading up to this, and I'm going to try to do that fairly quickly. So, um, this is a timeline I created this. It matches up to the top thing we use on our, uh, our five-part a lot of times. I did try to make it proportional to the actual amount of time, so I counted or looked on the painting program how many pixels here and how many pixels here and try to make it proportional. So it pretty much lays out with how much time um, would go for, um, for the time if you add these numbers up, if you consider that to be the amount of years we've lived here on earth or how long the earth has existed. Um, so Adam and Eve here going to Mount Sinai and then of course the cross here. Now the Valley of the Dry Bones happens in Ezekiel's time and we're going to talk about that, but right here where the star is basically where that happens. It's a somewhere around 600 B.C., somewhere in there, 600 to 575 or, or somewhere in that neighborhood. So I want to go back real quick and just go, go a long ways back and then race up to where we're at. So I want to go back to this, to where um, Moses was in Egypt, and he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He comes down here to Mount Sinai and receives the law at Mount Sinai. Now, when Moses received the law at Mount Sinai, even from this point, as early as this, from Mount Sinai, the warning was already being spoken to the children of Israel. So this is in Deuteronomy 28, verses 47 and 49. This is at the time of the law of Moses being given. So it's all the way back to that time. And it says here, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. Now, some people think this means something generic. I mean, I kind of think this is possibly even talking about Babylon. He's prophesying about here, all the way back to this point. So all the way from the time the law of Moses was given, Whenever this, this whole system was being set up, they were already being told, you need to serve God. And if you do not serve God, then, you, then there will be trouble. There will be a curse if you do not serve God. So that happened all the way from that time. 
all right? So he received the law here at Mount Sinai. Then he goes up south of, of the land of Canaan, sends the 12 spies into Canaan. They come back. Ten of them give an evil report. And so we know the children of Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years before they come in to take over the land of Canaan. So, sorry, that was going there. Okay, so they come into the land of Canaan and they take over this, this part of the world. This is the promise that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, 17 and 22. He said, that I will give to you a land. And so they go in and take this over. Now the land was split up between the 12 tribes. Of course, not, not necessarily like that. There was one tribe that was kind of, kind of changed um, from Joseph. But anyways, the, those 12 tribes were split up into this area. And so each person kind of got their own land. Each tribe got their own land. During this time, when they first came in, the system of the judges was set up that we read about. And it says that the judges lasted about 450 years. So they lived under the system for about 450 years. All right, after that 450 years, go back to this, sorry, we had these three famous kings. We had King Saul, after they rejected the, the system of the judges. King Saul was the first king, then David became king, and then Solomon. So those were the three kings over what we call the United Monarchy, over Israel. Now Solomon has a son, his name's Rehoboam, and Rehoboam causes a split in the nation of Israel. And that leads us to this. I think this was the fly that was out there, and I thought I'd better kill it out there. It's going to be up here, and sure enough, it's up here. So they split, and we have the northern kingdom known as Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah. Now the, the northern kingdom Israel lasts for about 200 years. Then the Assyrians come in and take them over in 720 B.C. And you can read about that, 2 Kings 17, verse 6. The southern kingdom, Judah, lasts about 120 years longer. And they are eventually taken by Babylon into, into captivity around 600 B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood. Now, during the time of the kings of Judah, there were a lot of prophets. And this is one that uh, Jeremy talked about last week in talking about Micah. In fact, I'm about to read from Micah. But... During the time of this 320 years, there were a lot of prophets coming in telling the children of Israel and the children of Judah, you better start serving God. You better do away with your idols and look to the one true God and serve him. And they continually, over and over and over again, turned away from God. Of course, there were some bright spots in that, but for the most part, they just kept turning away, turning away, and turning away, constantly turning away from God. And so there were a lot of prophets during this 320 years. Here's one for, that I said from Micah 4, verse 10. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field. And to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. So we have this prophecy here from Micah, which is really just maybe 100 years or 150 years, somewhere in that neighborhood, before the children of Israel go into uh, Babylonian captivity. Now, Jeremiah was another one of these prophets that lived there in that southern kingdom of Judah during that 320 years. In fact, Jeremiah was alive during the time of them being taken to Babylon. Of course, Jeremiah was a righteous uh, prophet. His soul was vexed because of the, the state of the nation of Israel, of Judah, that they constantly turned from God. And here he's pronouncing this judgment on them in Jeremiah 25. He says, Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the kingdom of Babylon seventy years. 
Now, there was a guy who came along whenever Jeremiah was saying this, and he said, y'all aren't going to be captive for two years. He was trying to, to take away the bite of that. And Jeremiah said, no, do not listen to that man. You will be there for 70 years. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. So Jeremiah pronounces this judgment on the nation of, of Israel, of Judah, and that's exactly what happens. Now, Jeremiah actually stayed in Judah during the Babylonian captivity. There was a few Jews that did stay back, and he was one of them. But the majority of them were taken as captives uh, to, the, to the land of Babylon. So that puts us right here at the time we're at. Now, real quick for this map, uh, the purple is the nation of the, the northern kingdom of Israel, them taken into captivity by Assyria, which again, that was 120 years before the Babylonian captivity. So they're taken up there and, and, all, and all kinds of things with them. But Judah is taken over here into Babylon. And I want you to notice, notice all of those rivers right there that you can see where the children of Israel are taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. That leads us into the 137th Psalm where it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there, for they, for there they that carried us away uh, captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us requ required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. So this psalm was written during the time we're talking about. And Ezekiel was with the group of people that wrote this psalm. He would have been in the exact same situation. Ezekiel was a prophet that was taken with the children of Israel, the, the people of Judah, taken as captives by Babylon into the land of Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And again, to be there for 70 years. Which if it was just two years, you could go and live two years and then come back and, I mean, your life would be different, but it wouldn't be totally changed. Seventy years, that's enough time for a couple of generations to pass. So it's, it's not just a short amount of time that they were going to be in uh, captives there. So Ezekiel the prophet is in this situation right here. They're in Babylon. They're in a strange land. Of course, they're there because of their doing. They're there because they have turned aside from God and, and constantly rejected his word and his will. Okay, so that's going to get us now to Ezekiel 37. Again, Ezekiel is with the children of Israel, the land of Babylon, and he's going to be given this vision by God here. So Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 3, it says this, The hand of the Lord came upon me. Ezekiel speaking here. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. So that's why I have that picture. And again, you, now you know why I said my disclaimer. It truly didn't come from what's going to happen in a couple weeks. It's for, for, from this song and for, to teach about this and what teaching it gives to us today. But this is exactly what happens. Ezekiel's taken by the Lord and he's put into this valley that's just filled with bones. It says, Then he caused me to, to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. So he said there was tons of bones. There was just bones everywhere. And he said they were very dry. So it, it makes that very specific. They were very dry. It's not like they were 
freshly, you know, deposited there, whatever, like there was any marrow left in them, they were completely dried out. Completely dried out. No life left in these bones. Now in verse 3, he says this, and he, this is, and he's saying God said this to me, so God is speaking to Ezekiel here, son of man, can these bones live? So God is asking Ezekiel, he's looking at him saying, can these bones live? And so Ezekiel says, well, I said, oh, Lord God, you know. So if you think about it, I'm sure if Ezekiel were in the same situation and another human came up to him and asked Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can, can these bones be alive again? If it would have been a human asking that, Ezekiel probably would have said, uh, no, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. But since it was God asking him, it required a completely different response. Realize, okay, he, he means something more here than just, can these come back to life? Because, I mean, God, God knows everything, so it's not like he's asking me to get the answer to this question. He's asking me this question for a reason, to lead me somewhere. Now, in verse 4, it says, Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Now, this word prophesy here is different. It doesn't mean like prophesy as in telling future events like what we normally think of prophesy. This is just like teaching or, or speak to them. Speak to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews. Now, sinews is basically a term that's talking about like our ligaments and like muscles. So things like that, ligaments and muscles. So it says, I will put these sinews or these ligaments and muscles on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So he says, I'll, I'm going to take these bones. I'm going to bring these bones. And I'm going to put the bones together. And then after the bones are together, he says, that I'm going to put these sinews or ligaments and muscles to attach those together. Then he said, I'm going to bring skin to cover over that. And then he said, I'll give breath in you and you shall live. So he tells him this, that that's going to happen. Now in verse 7, <clears throat> he says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. So it's not just theoretically that this is going to happen. He's, he's not just saying this could happen. He says in verse 7, So I prophesied and commanded. And he said, as I prophesied, there was a noise. It says, and there was a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them over. But there was no breath in them. I hope, hope this is not uh, too much to put this up here, but it's what's happening here. These bones were coming together. The ligaments, the muscles all started to come together. He says, then the flesh came around them. Now I looked for a lot of images to try to find what I thought actually was happening because it speaks about this, but it says there's no breath in them. And I was trying to find ones where they were laying down on the ground. Um, I couldn't find one to do that because I don't think they were actually able to stand up like what's happening in this picture. But this is the best that I could get. But 
It illustrates what's going on here. Everything is coming together. Here's another painting that I found that was painted several hundred years ago to represent what was going on here. But in verse 9 it says this, And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to breathe. So all of, these, all of this came together, and there was, there was men, people just laying there. But the problem was they didn't have breath. And we know what, what, the, what breath means in the Scriptures a lot of times. Breath means like life, like what life comes from God. And so uh, God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, son of man, say to the breath, thus says Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. So all of this came together, and there was, it says an exceeding great army. There was tons of people in this valley. They all came together as, as individual, distinct people, all of this coming together. And the last thing was for him to, to prophesy and to speak to the wind to come, to bring breath into these so that they could have life. Now, the dry bones absolutely represent the nation of Ezekiel. I mean, the nation of Israel, sorry. I mean, he says it very clearly in verse 11. He says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. So this is speaking about the nation of Israel and where they were. If you think about it, these, these people from, from Israel, they have been taken out of their homes. They've been taken from their place of worship. In, in, I'm sure in a lot of instances, families were separated. Um, they were having to be slaves. You know, we read about um, the different uh, people that were in, in slavery in Babylon. Um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all of those guys living during this time, they were separated from their families in, in this situation. And so this represented them and how they were in their life and what they were experiencing, being separated from everything that they know. You know, I just spent three days in the Dallas area, and it's fun to go over there, but even three days in Dallas, like, okay, I'm ready to be back home, you know? And whenever you go and you're going 70 years, you're not coming home for 70 years. I mean, that, that's a real thing. That is a real thing. So the image that we have here, this image could depict a congregation. I mean, it, it depicts some congregations that, that a lot of us here know. You know, a congregation can get to the point where they're basically in this place, where they have allowed themselves to, to become basically a valley of dry bones, where they've lost their vigor, where they've lost their desire to serve God. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. We shouldn't be lazy. You know, sometimes we, uh, we may think, well, man, we, we got, a, got a, you know, a good group of people here, like, you know, this place. A lot of times it's nearly full, like, we ain't got enough room to fit anybody in here, so, man, I, you know, think we're good. If we start feeling like that, we're headed there. We could become arrogant. We could say, same thing, look, look, how, look how many people we've got here. We're, man, we're doing good. And start getting arrogant about where we're at. If we get arrogant, that is a quick trip to head to where to what this describes. We could become complacent. We could realize, you know what, to, to maintain a group of people like this, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And you know what, uh, 
just want to kick back and just take it easy a little bit and just become complacent about what's going on. Any of those things, any of those things in, I mean, what UJ talked about this morning, if we allow personal conflict within a congregation to just stay here and just fester and fester, it could send us to the same place here as well. I, I'm not saying that I think we're headed there at all, but I'm just saying we have to, again, we have to be thinking ahead. We have to be thinking ahead, making sure that we're not headed to this place. This image of this valley of dry bones could depict an individual person. We could either, number one, be in a position where we have never obeyed the Lord. And if we're in this place where we've never obeyed the Lord, this is the situation that we're in. We're in a place where there's no life, where there's no hope, there's nothing. The second um, situation, as it describes an individual, is a person who has obeyed the Lord, but allowed the world to choke out everything good from God in their life. So, if you remember, he said that the, he didn't, he didn't just say the bones were dry. He said the bones were dry at first, and then he, he made it very clear to say the bones are very dry. It was like very specific to say that, that they were very dry. There was no life left in them. Sin and separation from God uh, brings pain and anguish, just like what's described here. The 32nd Psalm, I think, is a, is a perfect like, tie to, to what we're talking about here. In verse 3, it says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Salah. So he said, my bones grew old whenever he allowed this sin to stay in his life. And he said it was like it just turned into the drought of summer where it was just scorching and just pain and just defeat from, from what he felt in allowing that sin to be there. So what I want to do with this is I want to think about the fact that there was an order to what happened here. The bones came together first. Then the sinews or the, ten, the tendons and muscles came together. Then the skin and then the breath. If you think about it like this, it would have been weird if he would have said for the breath to come first. I mean, that wouldn't even make sense, right? If he said, okay, have the breath to come and then all that other stuff happens. It came together in a logical order. The bones, which is kind of the innermost part of us. I mean, physically, the innermost part of us. And then from those bones, they're attached together with ligaments and muscles. And then over that, of course, we have organs, but then you have skin that wraps around that. And that's the order that this came in. And then after all that, then breath came into, this, into these people. So there was a, a definite order that comes into this. Sorry, I'm going to skip through those. <clears throat> okay. So as I go through this, I want to, to remember this. So in Ezekiel's vision, the bones came together first, then the tendons, the muscles, the skin, and then the breath. It came in that order. There was a specific order to the way that this, these people came alive. And what I want to talk about is how that applies to us. And I've got up there a congregation and an individual. This really could apply to either one, but I'm really just going to focus this from an individual's perspective. The bones came together first in Ezekiel's vision. The first thing that has to, to come together for us to go through a process of coming back to life is our love for God has to be first. 
It has to be first. Now, I know and I understand that most of the time that we make that decision is because guilt over our sin. So I'm not, I'm not saying that. I know that a lot of times that's where a person first realizes I need, to get, I need to get to God. But dealing with that sin that made them feel guilty, dealing with it first is not the way to deal with that sin. So here's two different examples of what I mean. Some people have this mindset. They, they realize, okay, I, I need to start serving God, but they realize, ooh, I've got this huge mistake. I've got this huge sin problem in my life. And you know what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take some time here, and I'm going to work on that, and I'm going to try to get that thing fixed. And I don't know, it may, may take me a year, it may take me five years, ten years, I don't know. I'm going to work on that sin, and then once I finally get that in order, then I'll, then I'll be good. Then, then I can fully commit to serving God at that point. And if we approach it from that perspective, not going to work. It does not work like that. Another, another way that that manifests itself is this, is like when, when we're thinking about helping somebody, like let's say I know somebody or maybe I've just met somebody and it's like there's a, a definite sin problem. And a lot of times what we want to do is, the first thing we want to do is tackle the sin that they have. We want to be like, okay, man, you've got to fix this. And like, how are we going to fix that problem? And like, like basically punch them in the face because of, that, because of that sin in their life. And if that's where you start with somebody is like, you're, you're wrong about this. This is terrible. If that's where you start with somebody, you are going to fail. You are going to fail. The thing that people have to get first, yes, again, I know guilt of sin is maybe the starting, but it's not fixing the sin first. The first thing that has to happen is we have to love God first. That has to come first because that's what sets everything in order. In the 18th Psalm, he says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. That is where it all starts. That's where it starts. We have to love God first for several reasons. Number one, it's our motivation to what's right. You know, a person, before they come to God, they may realize, you know what, I've got these, these problems in my life, and, and maybe they think about it like this. They may say to themselves, okay, I've got this problem, and for me to get this job, I know I've got to do something about this problem. And so like, okay, I need to get this fixed so that I can get this job. And sometimes that may be somebody's motivation to fixing something that's wrong in their life. And the problem with, I mean, there's a lot of problems with that. I mean, I, I guess if you use anything to try to do better, that's, that's good. But it's just not going to be particularly effective. It's not really going to help you to accomplish a lot. But when we love God, that gives us like the ultimate motivation to, to get things right. Number two, to trying to make things right, to get things headed in the right direction. Me loving God first, it helps me to have a proper perspective on how to approach what's right. A lot of times the world teaches us uh, uh, something about um, about this sin and about that sin, and we may be thinking about it from the world's perspective, and sometimes the world approaches this problem in a totally different way than what God approaches it. 
and the, the right way to approach it, the way to approach it. And a lot of times we need um, a new perspective on a sin to be able to defeat it because we haven't thought about it from, from God's perspective. We've thought about it from some man's broken perspective on how we should approach that. So it gives us the right perspective on it. And then number three, and I, I really think this is the, the main one I'm getting at, is to love God, it gives us the power to assist us in doing what's right. It gives us power to, to do that. You know, for me to defeat a sin and to really get to where God wants me to be, it's more than just my determination and, and putting together what the scriptures teach about that. Because a person could be determined and read the scriptures and realize the good there but not love God. And if they're just determined and, and put the scriptures together, then they're not going to succeed. But when I truly surrender to God and when I truly come to him on his terms— and truly become a part of his family through faithful obedience, through being baptized into his family, being adopted, and being born again into his family, then we're given, we're given the power to be able to overcome these things. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says that uh, we're strengthened in the inner man by his spirit. And so we're given the, the extra um, ability to be able to do what's right. Okay, so that has to come first. Our love of God has to come first. So the bones were there first and the tendons came on. The second thing in, in our progression to getting to what's right is we have to study God's word. We have to study God's word. If we don't study God's word, then we, again, there's going to be a lot of things that we simply don't understand. In the 119th Psalm, in verse 9, it says, How can a young man cleanse his way? And then he answers this question, by taking heed according to God's word, to his word. So, can a young man have a, a right path and walk down a good path? Yes, he can. And the way he does that is by taking heed according to God's word. And in verse 49 and 50, he says, Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. In 2 Timothy 2, 15, of course, be diligent to present, your, uh, to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the, worth, the, the word of truth. So when we study God's word, it gives us more than just generic laws about, about you know, that, what we should live by. It gives us the specific things that we need to know. Again, the world would teach us um, that, that there's things that are wrong, things that, that are right, and of course, it's just foolish to take the world's word for anything on any, on any subject. It's just foolish to do that. But they're going to say some things are good and some things are bad. And if you, if you look at things and say, okay, God's word says this is good and uh, the world in this particular case says that's good, then those two things match up. Well, what did the world say about, about that? No, 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 no. Do not think about it like that. Do not think the world said to... Okay, I'm going to get back door the way the world says this to get to what God has said is good. Never do that. Look at what, God said, what God's word says is good and approach it the way he approaches it in the scriptures. Don't try to do it your way or the way the world teaches it. And so studying God's word is absolutely crucial for us to get to this point. Third thing, third step in this is we have to pray to God. In Psalms 4 and verse 1, it says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. 
In James 1 and 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, he's not saying this in a way where he's saying, okay, some of y'all this will apply to, some of y'all this won't apply to. Some of y'all are good. Some of y'all got the wisdom that you need. No, whenever he says, if any of you lack wisdom, he's saying, all, all of you, you need this. All of you need wisdom. So he says, let him ask of God and it will be given to you. That relationship with God in our prayers to him is so vital for us to go through this process if, if we're at the point of being like dry bones. If we're going to come back to life, prayer to God is going to be involved. If prayers are not involved in that, then life will not be restored. It's just part, it's just part of the process. It's part of the way God set it up. We have to pray. And we have to pray according to his will and, um, and pray to him. When, when people stop communicating, they lose, they, they, they lose so much in doing that. And God wants us communicating with him. The next step in this is to implement God's word with study and encouragement from other Christians. So as I'm studying this, and as, as I am figuring this out and, help, and having help from other Christians... It's going to help to start bringing all of this stuff together. That's like the skin that's just being wrapped around. It's what is putting all of this stuff together, and it's just bringing it together. In the 133rd Psalm, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So he says, as we dwell together in unity, that's such a good thing to God. Because as we dwell together in unity, when we're together and one person falls down, we're all right there. We're looking, we're helping. We're assisting that person to stand up. And, and not only people who have fallen down, but we're helping people who have just, are babies, are babes in Christ, who have just obeyed. And we're helping to nurture them and to bring them along and help them to see this and that. In uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the, spirit of, uh, in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again here, that, and this is what, uh, uh, Hugh J. quoted this this morning, this is what we're doing as, as brothers and sisters together, is we're looking out for each other, and we're, we're coming together, and we're learning how to, um, how to, how to, Fight this fight together. You know, mention about, about our prayers. You know, praying, um, it, we as brothers and sisters, we help each other in our prayers. You know, a lot of times in, in public prayers or whenever I'm praying with somebody, sometimes I'll hear somebody pray something that I've never thought to pray for before. And there's been so many times when somebody said something and I think, I have never thought about it like that. And I'm going to take, I'm basically going to, basically going to steal that phrase and I'm going to start implementing that in my relationship to God and the way I think about this. And I, mean, I think that's what God wants. And that's such a wonderful thing whenever that happens. So we learned uh, new things to incorporate into our prayer life um, as just one benefit as being together with, with uh, Christians. And then the other step here that I want to talk about is we help overcome the problems and troubles in our life. In James 1, 21 through 22, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness 
and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So he says to be doers of the word. That's taking all the things that we've learned and putting it to use in our lives. Not just hearing it, not just hearing good prayers, not just hearing encouragement from other Christians, not just hearing, studying the word, but it's doing those things, putting those to use in our life. And as we put all of those steps together, it's like the, what happens in, in this story here of Ezekiel, the, the valley of these dry bones. All of these things coming together. Now, this list of loving God, studying God's word, praying to God, being together with other Christians, being doers of the word, we talk about this list all the time. It's just basically as preachers, it's like, what way can I rephrase it to get to this list of stuff right here? We say it over and over again, but I mean, this is what we need. This is what we need to get to that point of where we are restored back to this relationship where we are, where we're like an army, like it said, where we can go out and as, as a group together in our spiritual battle that we're fighting, we can go out and accomplish a lot of things. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to finish up with this. Um, this. This vision here about this valley of dry bones, I, I love the imagery that's given to us. Really, as you read through that, if you really stop and really read that really slowly, it's like, it's like reading a, a movie script, really, the way it, the way it works. Um, and so it's, it's so neat to read it and just... It's awesome the way God formulated that. But the thing I, I really like about this prophecy here in Ezekiel 37 is actually that part of it, but where it actually lands. Because where it lands is in the thing that is, is of what's of the most importance. So a few verses down from where we were reading in verse 21 through 24, it says this, Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. Again, these people are in Babylon. He said, I'm going to take them and bring them back into this land where they can go back and basically be in Jerusalem uh, where the temple was to be rebuilt. So he tells them that's going to happen. You will get to go back to your own land. He said, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be over them all and they shall no longer be two nations nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. Again, there, and there was uh, a prophecy between here, what we read in this, and I think it's referring back to Judah and Israel, those two nations. But he says in verse 23, They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. Then shall they be my people, and I will be their God." Now, in verse 24, it says this, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And that is, to me, that's, that's like, this just points it down to, to just the fine point that this points directly to Jesus. Of course, there it talks about, um, it says that it would be one shepherd. It speaks of Jesus as the one shepherd over and over again. John 10, 11, Jesus speaking about himself, said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He talks here about David, which it wouldn't be literally David. And Peter makes that obvious in Acts chapter 2, 
Whenever he tells the people, all the Jews gather there in Jerusalem, he says, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried, and his bones are with us here in the sepulcher today. David's dead, buried. His bones are like these bones. I mean, they're totally dried out. They're, they'll come back in the, the resurrection, but not in not what this is talking about. This is talking about David's son. This is talking about Jesus. Matthew 1 and 1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In John chapter 11, verses 21 through 25, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said unto her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And to me, that's just such a, a beautiful way that that vision comes together. And these, these bones that were dry bones that are given life and they come back together, they are resurrected. And the, the conclusion of that vision is about Jesus Christ and what he would do for every single one of us in us being able to, um, to make our lives better here on this earth. If on this earth, if we get to this point of being dry bones, we can, we can gain vitality again and become alive again and, and be what God wants us to be. So he gives us life in that way. But ultimately, as he said, we may die, but if we die, we can be alive in him because he is the true resurrection. He's the, he's the culmination of that, of that vision. So I hope you'll, you'll think about this. Again, this is um, just a, an awesome vision, this awesome thing that is given to us here in the Scriptures. Uh, last week I was studying with some guys, and <laughs> these, one of these guys brought up this deal. He, he brought up Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis. And he said, what, well, what is that? I mean, was that God? Was that Jesus? Was it an angel? What is it? And then <laughs> these guys got to talking about Melchizedek. I'm like, who's Melchizedek? Of course, these guys were running all over the place. And I told him, I said, that is the, that's the beauty of God's word, is a lot of things are, are black and white, like we know exactly, but there are things in God's word that are like, that, like, like Jacob wrestling with God. Like, who, who was that really? We, we'll, we'll never know for sure the answer to that question. And the thing is, is we wake up in the morning thinking, man, who, who was Jacob wrestling with? And it makes you think. That's the purpose of this. And this is another one of those things. In this vision, we, we have this vision of, of Ezekiel being put in this valley, these dry bones, and hopefully tomorrow you'll wake up and you'll, you'll think about this, and you'll think about these dry bones and think about what, what God meant by this and what he was teaching us as he had this recorded in his holy scriptures. Those are the thoughts that I have uh, for this evening. If you're here tonight and um, you haven't obeyed the gospel, then, I mean, I... I I can't say it another way, but this is the situation you're in. You, you have to obey God to be brought to life, to, bring, to be brought into this relationship with God. So if you're here tonight and you're, you're in that place where you haven't obeyed God in, in accepting Him and, and being baptized in His family, this is the situation. Or if you're here and you feel like this is maybe the situation that you're in um, as being a Christian, but being in a place where it's like this, we would love to pray for you and to, to help you, to encourage you through the things we talked about, uh, to get to a point where you feel like 
that those things are starting to come together and where you can um, serve God the way you know God wants you to. If you're here and you have a need, we'd ask you to come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing.